Episode 7, baby. Yeah, you ready to do this thing? I was born ready. You ready? Let's pop the lock. Pop lock and drop it, baby. Let's get right into it. Uh, so today we got some good stuff for you guys. Uh, we appreciate you turning in. And uh, we're going to go over the art of coaching. What to look for in a coach. Um, what we take pride in delivering as a coach. Yeah, I think it's a really great topic. You had You came up with the idea of basically saying, listen... People can talk about value all day long, but unless they can quantify what that looks like, everybody's just talking, right? There's every, Everyone says, oh, he's a good coach, and then the other guys, oh, he's a great coach, and I say, what makes him a good coach? And they can't really quantify that. Oh, like, he's nice, he brings a lot of energy, like, that's not what we're quantifying as, as what excellence is. Yeah, exactly, that's exactly right. You know, you're putting um, some you know, um, some action to it, some uh, something to look for, you know, why uh, these people are paying, you know, top dollar for good quality coaching. And then also for us, uh, something to go after on how we can better ourselves as coaches. Yeah, you know, everyone will acknowledge and admit that our program, these premium warehouse gyms, small studios, charge top dollar to train at. And so if you're going to ask someone to pay 130, 150, we got clients that are paying us 800 bucks a month for personal training, we better be able to deliver on the promise that we give them when they sign up because if we can't, they will no longer co- uh, continue to come to our facility. So not only has this helped us quantify to our clients how we deliver value as coaches, it becomes an amazing assessment tool to ensure that we're delivering on that promise. Yeah, and then what the clients should look for when they're looking for a fitness industry, whether it's ours or um, you know anywhere, anywhere in general. Yeah, because otherwise, listen, I think your uh, your first experience at a warehouse gym good or bad, is still better than anything else anyone's ever experienced. Unfortunately, if they don't have a high standard that they're expecting, then they're going to settle for less. And until they know what excellence looks like, what the art of coaching looks like, they they have nothing to compare it to. One of my favorite quotes of all time is, the mind does not know how to proceed unless it has something to compare itself to. So, uh, bad is only bad because you compared it to good, right? And vice versa. We can only compare good to because of something bad we experienced. We can be like, man, that gym was terrible because somewhere along the lines you had a really good experience and you want that next experience to be just as good, if not better. Yeah, no, that's good. So we got some uh, some components, all right? So we kind of want to uh, dive into them. We'll, we'll name them all out there and then we'll go uh, bits and pieces on um, some examples. So first one, we got demonstration, all right, a good demo, whether it's uh, you doing it yourself or you know an athlete in group class. We want to make sure it's a nice visual representation of the movement we are looking for and how it should look. Yeah, you know, there's two ways that we encourage our coaches to do this, and I think uh, they both have pros and cons. So as coaches, there are times when it's okay to self-demonstrate movement, right? If we are going over an air squat and the group class is facing us or it's a a one-on-one PT client, that's simple. That's easy. But if it's like a handstand or a real dynamic motion like a snatch or a kipping pull-up, we highly encourage that the coach does not demonstrate that movement because it just becomes awkward and really difficult. I mean, 
Can you imagine trying to give five points of performance for the handstand while I'm being upside down? No, I've honestly attempted some stuff like that, and uh, I've almost had a heart attack for being so much out of breath when I'm trying to talk and demo at the same time. It's, it's too challenging, and I feel like you'd be getting your point across a little bit better if you chose someone else to demo that. Exactly, and you know, I understand why it happens. It's easier, or you're not really sure uh, who to choose in a group class to be able to demonstrate that because uh, that can go really bad if you ask someone to demonstrate s something and you're not even sure if they can do it. Or they're not comfortable doing so. They're not so. comfortable, right? So there are ways that we get around that. One, I love if there's an opportunity for me to have an athlete demonstrate something that I know can do it really well. What an amazing opportunity to have them show off their skill set. Yeah, no, that's real good. And uh, so, yeah, some, some of my go-tos on trying to get a demonstration in group class as I'll just automatically volunteer them in, in a joking matter, say, hey, you know, Joe, uh, he's been practicing his. He's He volunteered for us even though they didn't. Yeah, that's a really good one. The other one I use is I do it a little bit more subtly. Like, let's say I have it in my head. I'm going to demo this movement in about two minutes. I'll pull someone aside who I think can do it, but I haven't seen him doing it in a while. And I'll just say, hey, hey, what's your kipping pull-up look like? And they'd be like, dude, it's awesome. I was like, okay, cool. Let me see a couple. And then we're kind of doing that real quickly on the side. So then when I call in the group, I saw it. I know it's good. And then we can do it versus trying to hope they can do it and then it looks bad. And then it's hard because you can lose some credibility if, you, if you're not picking the right demo. So, um, But I also believe that sometimes it's just more efficient or if, the, uh, if there's no one that we know can't do it, just do it yourself. But we want to have a balance between the two. Yeah, and then we have a good idea on um, who's in our class, who our athletes are. You know, majority of them come day in and day out. So you can pick an athlete that you know is pretty much advanced and almost rely on them. Hey, they're going to show this, right? They know this. Even though you haven't seen them perform the movement, you know, you're kind of taking um, confidence in them that they'll be able to do it, even if you're coaching them on the fly. That's kind of what I've been doing, and it's, it's worked real well. That's really good. I like that. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's so easy for us because we're so athletic. We can do these without thinking, but sometimes we have to slow that down, make that look more complex than it is for us to actually do because really that's their struggle and we want to help them through that. Yeah, so that's the first component we got, demonstration, crucial. Next one we got, teaching. Uh, you know, I take pride in teaching my, uh, my athletes on what to do inside the gym, what to do outside the gym. Um, basically just trying to teach them along the way opposed to telling them what to do in that group hour and have them forget about it as soon as they leave. For sure, if we can just come out with like one single thing that they learned from that and they were able to improve with it. For me, that's a teaching success, right? Um, that I recognize that we're not getting 100% improvement every single day, but the focus is what's that one thing that I knew that I had a direct and immediate effect on that day and my teach for, and if that occurs, then I know my teaching was a, a success. So I like that. So you got one thing, one specific thing, um, you're not trying to work a miracle. You're trying to get them a little bit better one specific thing. Yeah, if it's flat back or making sure our consistency with stances today, whatever that is, if the general, if I can get that out through the general uh, pop uh, that day, then I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah, I like that. Um, part of my teaching strategy, when I'm teaching um, an athlete on something, what to move or whatnot, you know, I try to tell them to teach it to somebody else because I feel like the best way to learn is to teach. 
Yeah, and it was almost a mandate. Greg Glassman, the founder of CEO, originally stated that the that the moment that we learned something, that it was our obligation and duty to teach to, somebody to else. Teach somebody else to go in your house, grab the broom, and teach somebody how to overhead squat. Teach them how to back squat, because we acknowledge that that knowledge is power, and uh, it's done amazing things for our own life. And why would we want to keep that for ourselves? Exactly. It's uh, passing it forward. Passing it forward. The other thing that's really interesting because of my background with teaching is that we understand that there's an overarching concept with the movement. But if we advance the conversation too fast, we almost confuse them, right? We talked about that that kind of beginner coaching syndrome where they just talk so much that they end up confusing people, is that we can agree this is the main big concept, but in the moment of teaching, we're gonna break those down into its parts. Something simple, something more simple. You're not trying to impress them with all the scientific knowledge and stuff if they don't care for it. You're breaking it down something simple, um, and that's how you get through. That's how you get through the athlete. That's how you teach an athlete. Yeah, so you would break it down just like that to be like, okay, I have this part. And then you're building a, a progression of advanced motions, right, so that we can come back to that bigger picture. Because really, you know, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. There's no such thing as Rx. Like, okay, we took what, what was the most difficult movement today, we broke it down and then built it back up. But that's not the end-all, be-all because even that itself, we can advance again. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so following teacher, we got seen. It's you know the opportunity to uh, be aware of who you're coaching, uh, what's going around in, in your class, what's going in your one-on-one personal training session. You know it's the the opportunity to see um, movement. Yeah, seeing is really tricky because a lot of movement faults. It's easy to see a movement fault when they're static, like in a deadlift. If an individual is rounding their back, that's really simple. But what are they doing through the motion of the start to the finish of the deadlift that makes it dynamic, that makes it really difficult as a coach to spot? And now imagine when you add more speed to that, like the Olympic lifting uh, movements. It takes uh, an experienced coach to be able to see those subtleties because it's sometimes the subtleties that are causing the biggest issues with these athletes or handicapping their their advancement to the next level as an individual and as a as a fitness program yeah and then you know part of a good coach trying to see something is you know pick a good angle on where the athlete is standing you know a side angle is one of my go-to's whenever I do uh, some demonstration in class or I'm just trying to see an athlete move myself I say hey pick a side go on go on a side dial in and then also what I'll do is when they perform a movement and say it's a, a faster movement Olympic lift like you just mentioned you know hey do that one again let me see another one. Let me see another one. And then, uh, you know, it kind of narrows it down what, what, what to see, what you're looking for. Yeah, and when you see it, you're trying to offer uh, some, some, and we're going to go into this in the next one, but some really helpful tips. And then you want to keep seeing it again because uh, we want to make sure that what we're saying is getting through to them. Um, and it starts with being able to see the movement fall. And this takes a lot, a lot of experience. I'm going, coming on my 10-year CrossFit anniversary, and I still feel like there's subtle things that take me multiple reps to look at. And that's really powerful because with those advanced athletes, that's probably their limiting factor. And so i got to be able to give that to them. That's part of the value, right, I agree. as a coach. I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. It's it's tough to give an athlete that moves super, super well something to get better at, you know. Um, 
and how I kind of approach this is to give them something a little more motivating, a little more motivation. You know, hey, uh, that looked good. You probably go a little bit faster. That, that was beautiful. Move a little bit faster. Yeah, you can never jump too high or too fast, right? And it's, uh, you yeah. can never lift too much. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, you know, seeing, you know, has its challenges. But in my opinion, you know, uh, following that would be correcting is, is just as much of the battle. You know, correcting the movement. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's huge to, to correct someone when they're, you know, moving through a conditioning piece or, you know, um, someone that, you know, has a, you know, I'm trying to think of my, my train of thought. When you're trying to correct someone, you got to kind of know where they stand, you know, know their personality. You got to have that relationship with them because uh, if they're not going to see you as a credible coach, they're not going to listen to you when you try to correct them. 100%, and that's why the program that we run at our facility builds credibility over time before they ever get themselves what we call onto the floor to be able to coach. So the credibility is there because they've been a member for a long time. People know that they're in our instructor training program. So by the time they get on the floor, they're just building on the current credibility that they have. But I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the personality. You know, this is the problem with uh, the educational system is that there's a model that all our teachers are given to teach people and there's a, this idea that everyone learns the same and it's not we all learn completely different and so what we try to teach the coaches is that these are the various ways that people learn and I want you to get really good at all these things and being able to communicate those different various ways that people learn instantaneously when it's time to try to fix things, whether it's in a skill session, which is a little slower energy, slow go, a lot of rest times, or you're in the middle of 21-15-9 and you see something immediately wrong that you have to fix. Uh, that uh, There's an art to that. It comes back to our initial conversation of how you do that. And we develop that, as we talked about, as the tools of the toolbox for the coach. You can never have too much. There's no such thing as the magic, magic cue because everybody's different. Everyone's completely different. And so what we use in the instructor, the instructor training program is tactile verbal visual. Tactile verbal visual. You need to be able to develop as many cues in those three areas as possible in every single movement in CrossFit and every single else that you know because I can guarantee that the coach who has the most of those is – and and can regurgitate them like the back uh, like the back of their hand are the ones that are going to be able to get people to move well the best most consistently. Yeah, I feel like it's a good time to kind of dial in on uh, the appropriate cues. You know, uh, verbal, like you said, visual and tactile. Uh, I feel like the most advanced athletes they do a pretty good job at verbal cues. You know, and then um, some of the newbies, the new beginners. You know, sometimes it, it might take all three one shot. And, you know, it takes a good quality coach to to really be efficient at all three, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because uh, it has to happen naturally, right? Because there's not one uh, way to do that first and then come down the line. Verbal is usually the easiest because you just you, you keep talking until something works. Uh, unfortunately, if you keep doing that, you produce that effect, the paralysis by analysis, where you gave them so much to think about that they actually got worse. And so for us, verbal has to be simple uh, and direct. Uh, because even if something worked with everything that you said, you have no idea what worked because you said so many things. Yeah, yeah. You could say, uh, flatten out your back, get your chest up, pull your shoulders back. 
they don't change a damn thing, but you go ahead and you tap them on the back a little bit and bam, it's instant. It's like magic. It's, it's good to, to master all, all three aspects, all three type of uh, cues. Yeah, so it's tactile, touching, verbal, talking, right? You're moving with your mouth and then the visuals is showing. Uh, with showing, one of the things we say in our instructor training program is when you demonstrate something and you notice something is at fault with the individual, we want to over-exaggerate what they're doing wrong and then immediately over-exaggerate how to do it right. So the rounded back is one of our most simple examples, which is an athlete is subtly, subtly rounding their back. When I give them the visual of what they're doing, I'm going to over round my back more than they are currently doing it because I want it to make clear to them exactly what they're doing wrong. And then when I go to erect myself, I'm going to erect myself as tight and erect as if I was lifting 400 pounds already. And that will give them a clear differentiation between right and wrong. Yeah, I like that. It's almost that they call it some sort of sandwich. You know, you show how to do it right, you show how to do it wrong, and then you show how to do it right again. Yes, again, it's, it's, it's helping them separate this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. And for, for the newbie, they need a lot of that. They need a lot of uh, visual demonstrations. I'll do one of my favorite things to do is to do this little thing where I point my fingers at my eyes. And so he knows, she knows that I'm talking to them. I won't say anything. I like that. And I do one of these and I say, and I'll tap my back and I'll pull my chest up. And then all of a sudden, I look at them again and their back is tucked. They I didn't say it. two yeah. words. And that's across the room. Because what I realized, what I noticed, is that verbally yelling that across the room was annoying. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, Brett, flatten your back. And he's like 10 people away from me. Yeah. It's annoying. But and if I hit eye contact, there, some people yeah, of like course, that. of course. And that was something I noticed I was doing because it was easier. Verbal is so easy. You can just yell crap. Now that I think about it, I think I've done that a couple times. Or I've walked a little closer to the athlete, even though I'm not looking at them. I'll yell it just as loud, but I'm literally right next to them. So, you know, it gives them that idea. Hey, this is back towards you clean it up a little bit yeah it's one of my favorite things to do lately because it's like we're we're like psychic you know we're like we didn't say anything but we understood each other and uh yeah man it works really well yeah no i like that and speaking of being somewhat psychic you know we're uh we got a good game plan on who's in our class you know that day and pertaining to movements we know what we want to avoid we know hey this might be a little hiccup in this workout let's show you know some faults not to do hey today when you're doing this snatch Okay, let's not, you know, let's be fast. You know, speed, the, the focus is speed. What we don't want to do is move the bar too slow, something like that. You know, we're kind of ahead of the game. Yeah, and that goes into our next topic, which, which is management. When uh, we look at uh, coaching our class, we do something that we teach called reverse engineering. So we say, hey, if I can segment how long things are going to take in my class and work backwards to that, it'll allow me to know where I have time to do certain things so I can manage the class really well instead of looking and feeling like the coach is flustered a lot, right? Because uh, what what we say to new coaches is like, what we do, we make look really easy. But when you put a new coach on the floor on day one, they're like, I don't know how you make that look so easy. Like, how did you know when to transition to go to the next thing? How, how did you know how long to do the warm-up? How long to spend on the skill session? And that's one of those things. Like, to me, that's the greatest compliment when someone can say, man, you make that look so easy. Because 
that person finally acknowledges is that it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's uh, it's one of the harder things to do as a coach is, is to manage 12 people, you know, that are very eager to be there. They want to get to the next, you know, um, the next opportunity to move. And uh, something we do really well at the gym is is the wad tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I read those every time before I, before I coach. And, you know, what? just curious, what got you, you know, running that through our gym? Um getting a coach to write down, you know, every tips he had that he coached in the morning to the afternoon coaches? That's a great question, dude. You know, the wad tips is basically an email that the morning coach will send out to all the other coaches that day. I'm giving away secrets, bro. I don't know if I want to do this. I'm kidding. But uh, the wad tip, here's what we understood, is that if someone coached three classes a day, I can guarantee the third class was the best class of the day. So what I wanted to do is... Uh, remove that strain or that learning curve from all the other coaches that had to coach that day. And so by that coach giving us the strain, the things to expect, the issues they might have, and the workout, it's almost as if that the coach who finally coaches in the afternoon has already already coached the class class and Mm -hmm. he already did it. Yeah, I love that. And so the other thing that we moved into that we can do better is the pre-WAD tips, right? Because there is a set program that coaches have a lot of their hands on, but in their head they have an idea of what they want it to look like, but the other coach who is actually coaching it for the first time that morning might misinterpret it. They might have a standard that's a little bit different than the coach wanted to see that wad be performed or a distance that was incorrect. And so sending pre-wad tips of the coach who's actually creating that workout to all the other coaches saying, hey, on next Monday, uh, this is what I want this movement to look like, or these are the points of performance I want to look for. Um, and that, again, just gets them ahead of the of the game because otherwise just, you know, the, the guinea pig is always the first coach of the day. And, and we're great at, you know, communicating uh, videos through emails. You know, hey, this is the movement we got going on Wednesday. Uh, you know, let's, let's brush up on our form. You know, I'm sure – uh, you put a movement in programming, you know, nine times out of 10, all the coaches have already done that movement, but you know, it might've been a little while. So, Hey, let's over prepare, you know, over prepare, watch the video, do some more video training to set yourself up for success for that class on that specific movement. Yeah. I've never heard anyone say I was over prepared to coach. Like there's no such thing, no such thing in anything in life, really. For sure. And that goes back to one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly is a lot of issues happen because of miscommunication. So if we can just jump on the other side of that continuum, which is over communicate, we'll never have a problem again because we know what we're thinking at all times. And that's what the emails, what the texts are for, what, hey, I saw you in between classes and I wanted to say something to you really quick between classes over communicate and you'll never have a problem again that's two good takeaways you can never be over prepared and you can never over communicate with those around you now with the group management you know uh one of the things i wanted to ask you because i know it wasn't something that you had to deal with uh and uh when you were training at the other gym was the reservation system that we used what was like your initial response to that as somebody coming in as a new member as a new coach and what have you seen as a as a, as an effect of what we do uh, with the reservation system that we require our members to follow? No, I like it a lot, you know. And for those that don't know, our reservation system is any group class you want to attend in the future, you have to go ahead and reserve to in advance. You know, the reason why we do this is, you know, for space, um, uh, you know, to allow the coach to be prepared on what athletes are coming in. You know, if we got a newcomer coming in, we'll say, hey. 
I got so-and-so reserved for class. It's their second class. They did the intro. It's great. You know, the reservation system, you know, is, is good. It's good. And I kind of feel it separates us from the, uh, the typical gyms around us. That's really good. And that's what it was like. You know, we implemented that almost three years now. And it wasn't popular at first because there is some convenience to showing up whenever in the heck you want to. But one of the things that we acknowledge, and this was going back to what we talked about with our nutrition thing and me just being honest with like, this is not working, we really need to deal with it, which is like, we were pretending, you would have to lie to yourself to acknowledge that you could coach 25 people the same way you can coach 10. Yeah, no, there's no way. There's There's no way you can provide quality coaching and a, a, a group of 60 people and you're one person. It, it's a joke and a lot of these gyms are doing that. They have no idea, they have absolutely no idea how many people are showing up to their classes until the class is about to start. And that is a terrible and dangerous model for coaching. And I recognized that, I knew there was gonna be some pain points, I knew I was gonna lose some members and I didn't care because I think the future and the vision of that was greater than what we were currently doing. What a headache to program a workout that could not fit with a bigger uh, population. And not only that, I wanted to acknowledge that when the classes got too big, they weren't coaches anymore, they were referees. They were just ensuring that nobody got hurt. But were they truly delivering value? It was something that we had to truly acknowledge and we were the only one been able to acknowledge that. Like, we are going to require a reservation system because I want to be honest that there is no other way that you can deliver value with that many people with one coach. Yeah, and then you can also track on the amount of times people have been training throughout the week or throughout the month. You know, if someone hasn't been coming, you can hit them up and say, hey, you know what, let's get you back in the gym. Let's keep you on track. You know, on the other hand, if someone's like, hey, you know what, Brett Mario, I'm, I'm you know, uh, you know, a little discouraged because I'm not seeing the results, uh, you know, I want to see that, I, you know, I signed up for. And we could look back and say, hey, unfortunately, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. You know, uh, half of the battle is just being consistent. Yeah, and the data doesn't lie. We can go back to them and show them that. I think what happened indirectly, Brett, which is really interesting that I didn't foresee was that we were able to find a better client because of that. Because what it takes to understand that you are gonna be held accountable to reserve for class, unreserve if you can't make it, or reserve your classes in advance, gave us a better quality client, a more disciplined client than somebody else who's just like kind of wake up in the morning like, ah, not it's giving them accountability. It's, it's you know, having them commit, they're, they're committing, you know, uh, every sign up I get, I said, hey, let's get you signed up for the next class you want to come back, and now, you know, up to you, but try to find a, a daily routine, you know, maybe a Monday, Wednesday, Friday at first, or a, a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Commit to that as far as you can where you know your schedule, and just kind of make it like clockwork. Yeah, and, and that goes back to helping them build discipline that they wouldn't have done Otherwise, and the reservation system did that for us without us even having to try. It's given that sense of accountability. I would never, if there was one thing I would have done sooner from day one, is I would have implemented that reservation system from day one because I would have started with, you know, uh, really high quality clients versus trying to like hope that everyone was like going to follow through on that. So I'm proud of that. Yeah, we want our membership pays to be people that are coming to the gym. You know, unfortunately, there's some corporate gyms out there that they are setting their membership base up 
to make money off people that aren't using their gym membership. That's crazy, man. And you saw that firsthand. Uh, you know, I've heard stories about that, but you were in that and seeing that. And, and it's terrible because it's the reason we have to deal with conversations about people that are afraid of contracts, that people that are uh, afraid that I'm going to give them an enrollment fee just for signing up because they had to deal with that commercial model. And now I have to say, dude, like, we're not like that. Yeah, no, we're not like that. If, if you're not coming to the gym and you're paying our membership, we're going to hit you up. Like, hey, let's get you back in here. You know, remember why you, you signed up in the first place. And I can tell you nine times out of ten, the other gyms aren't doing that. They're just, you know, just uh, charging them every month. Don't care if they show up or not. It's crazy, man. It still blows my mind that's still happening, and people are, are, are getting suckered left and right. It's unfortunate. You know, and that, you know, comes down to our personality as coaches. You know, we mean well for our, for our members. And, uh, you know, I think this is a good segue to get into our last topic on presence and attitude, who we are as coaches. And, you know, it's our jobs, our duties you know, to bring fire each and every class. There is no bad day as a coach. The people that are coming in for that hour of their day, you know, they've been working all day. You know, they have stuff going on too, but they're coming to work out. Now, they don't care what happened to us last night if we got in a little argument with our spouse or, you know, we got in a car accident on the way to the gym. We got a little fender bender. They don't care. We still have to bring the best presence and attitude we can for them. And that's uh, professionalism 101. Like, People have this this misconception about me that I have a smile on my face every day, that I'm on a t um, I I live on a on a ten energy level, because that's the persona. I call it the show, and it's not that I'm being fake. Is that there's a way that I have to present myself on the floor that people expect and love and admire about me, and that's because I've been able to consistently deliver that every single day for the last seven years. But that's not my, that's not me 24 seven. That would be impossible. I'd kill myself doing that. But as you said, that is the professionalism that we bring to that, that we understand that that fun, high energy spirit works wonders for individuals that are seeking uh, something more. Yeah, that comes down to the coach. The coach controls the energy of the entire class. Now we do our group, uh, our demos, you know, or our, our briefings rather, you know, the first five minutes of class. Now, if you went to a gym and the coach got up there to go over the workout and he's, you know, model, like mellow, hey, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, you know, there, there's not going to be any, you know, um, consistency on coming back and moving through the workouts with some high energy. But if you have a coach like we have, we, you know, we're, we're going over demos, we're fired up, you know, we're anxious to get them moving, have a good mm -hmm. time, enjoy, you know, the class because, we take the you know pride in delivering a great service. We take the time to put in the programming. So when it's you know time to come in the class and do that workout, we want to make it the best. Yeah, and it sets the standard for the rest of the class. And that's something we go through the the training program because we think that teaching how to you know presenting the workout of the day is just as important as actually doing the workout. Uh, it sets the tone. It really does. Um, so. Yeah, I'm proud of that. And, you know, this conversation came about because, you know, we're in the process of hiring new coaches and we're going through our instructor training program. And when we developed this process, I wanted what I felt like was a well-rounded way to develop coaches that I have never hired anybody that called me over the phone and I took them 
and, be, and they became a coach the next day. They went through an extensive process that I developed. And when I started going through the program, I didn't want to try to reinvent the wheel. But I knew that if I was selling CrossFit, then I should master CrossFit. And what better way than to dig through the material that CrossFit has given us for free. So I took the level one manual, which all coaches need to be certified and coach at a CrossFit gym. And then number two was the level two. It's free online, you can read the material, and that's where those six categories came from that the level two said, the level one gave you the methodology of CrossFit, but didn't really, and it showed, gave you some points of performance, some things Movements. to consider with coaching, but didn't really dig deep into it. It was the level two that just blew my mind. The art uh, of coaching. It was literally the art of coaching. It would say, you know what makes a good coach? These principles, these six principles right here, and this is what we mean by all those things. And then I took what I felt worked with us, I added my own little spin on that, and that's how I developed the instructor training program. So our instructor training program is 90 days long. The first 30 days is level one. The next 30 days is level two. And the next 30 days after that on the third month is shadowing where I, they shadow multiple classes throughout the week for the next 30 days. And I start to give them more and more responsibility until this kind of like this awesome role reversal happens where then I become the shadow coach and they become the lead coach, but I'm still there to offer as much input and help them as much as they need to, to get uh, on the floor as an official coach. It's been one of the best things I've ever did. Nah, I got to agree to that, man. It's a win-win in, in two aspects. A, you're making your new prospect as a coach a better coach in a three-month process. There's no way that, um, you know, the day one of, uh, compared to the last day of their instructor training program, that they did not become a better coach. You know, and then two, on the other side of things, the members react real well mm -hmm. to it. The members react. They say, hey, this guy's put in the work. You know, he's worthy of you know, coming to our culture that we have at Naples Strength and Conditioning. And, you know, they react a little bit well, you know, better to him. They know he put in the work, he cares, he's in it for the long run. Because you don't want to hire someone that reached out to you that day, you know, you got him the next day because you need a coach. And, you know, then they might be in and out. You know, if they're willing to put in the three months to the training program, they're going to stick around. Then you know that, the other coaches know that, and the members know that. Yeah, you know, and if I were to have, you know, listen, we lost a really amazing coach that became a good friend of mine. And it would have been really easy. He had, he at, at basically at one point he was full time and he moved down to part time, but he was running all the evening classes. It, dude, you know how easy it would have been for me to put up a job posting and hire the next guy or girl who, who wanted the position? It would have been so easy. But I knew I would have lost a lot of credibility with our members because I did that. And so I sucked it up. I've continued to suck it up to manage a lot of those classes. You came in and added more classes to your schedule. We have people in the ITP, but they're still not ready. And I will take as long as I need to to get them ready, but I am not going to compromise the trust and the credibility that we have. It would have been so easy, Brett. But you know what happened through this whole process is the reason that – the I, he was a coach for five years. And the reason for that is I had so many people before him that I introduced the ITP that they didn't want to go through it. So you know what it did? It screened them out of getting a job at my facility. Because if you weren't willing to put in the time, then I wasn't willing to put in the time with you either. And that's why I put the level one. The level one is self-instructed. You need to read the level one and I'm going to quiz you. And unless you can prove that you're willing to put in the time to do that, I won't spend a minute with you because you aren't really serious. 
and um, and but I didn't wake up and that like that just came to mind. It went through some really bad coaches way before all these guys, way before you guys, that I compromised my credibility. Um, fortunately, I did it with a membership base of 20, 25 people. So I was learning through the process the first couple of years. But to take that risk with 150 members, I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Yeah, that's deep, man. That, that's real good stuff there. You know, you're avoiding a short-term fix on, on picking up someone, you know, right off the bat because you need it right then and there. Um, and giving that up for an opportunity to find a long-term coach that's going to be there for the long run. Yeah, I'm really proud that I've only lost a few coaches since doing this. Um, I'm really proud about that fact. And it was because I think that I hired good quality coaches that were passionate about what they were doing. We, we acknowledged that nobody was ever going to get rich doing this. We did it because we had a heart and desire to help other people. And that if I can help them make some money in the process while doing what they love, like, isn't that the whole definition of never having to show up a day in your life to work? Because you're working something you're passionate about. Because you love it. It doesn't feel like work, right? Don't get me wrong. There's long days. Being on the floor five, six hours in a row is hard. But, man, you leave there with such gratitude and thankfulness that you felt like you you gave yourself. You yeah, know? You, could, you could be sitting in a cubicle. So, Yeah, man, it, it's been amazing. And I think that the art of coaching, the way that we've put this together, the way that CrossFit has helped us define that a little bit better – I wish more gyms were doing it. I really wish more people were following the level two model and making it a requirement for their gyms. I think it would it would make all our lives easier when people are, are looking at what, what a good quality gym should consist of and what a good quality coach should look like. Yeah, you know, we're just pointing, you know, our listeners in the right direction on how to look, you know, for what, you know, kind of aspects that makes a good quality coach. And if you can kind of, you know, make that quantifiable on what you're looking for, you know, how well they're doing the demo, how well they're teaching, seeing, correcting, you know, their group management. And then, you know, in my opinion, the most important, uh, their presence and attitude. You mm -hmm. know, you want them to, uh, you know, make it a good time. You know, that you want them to make it a good time and you want them to know, um, you know, you're there for a reason and you expect them, you know, to care about you, care about the customer, care about the athlete, you know, and uh, it's just kind of putting that in, in, into perspective. Yeah, and it's, it's like you said, going back to ultimately what this is about is like professionalizing the industry that I believe one day you're going to need a license to do what we do. And the more we can make this more professional, the easier it is to uh, really make ourselves look more like professionals and not some dudes that just work out in a warehouse gym. And uh, I think that's what we're moving to, and, and we're, we're the ones who want to hold the standard. Yeah, that's real good, man. You know, we're pertaining to changing people's health just as much as doctors are, in my opinion. You know, we're, uh, but we're, we're making fixes healing by movement, you know, how uh, healing and increasing health should be done as opposed to getting put on meds or anything like that. You know, we're should be just as up there on the on the scale on uh, changing health, helping people with health, get healthier, get more fit. I agree, brother. Man, thanks for the talk. I love the topic. We can talk about this forever. So we appreciate you guys. Uh, leave some feedback below. We appreciate it, man. Later, guys. Catch you next week.